Hey, Life Church. Uh, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a brand new listener, we are so glad that you're with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe so you can catch other stuff that we put out via our podcast. Uh, either way, if you want to participate in what God is doing in this community, and He is up to so much. We just got done with our 10-year vision series, heard a little bit about what is upcoming for this community, and now we're in our Cross Equals Love series where we're challenging our community to take the love of Jesus into the places around us and to go lower and to serve us in really practical ways. So there's a lot going on. And if you want to participate in that, you can do it lots of ways, but one of the ways you can participate is through giving. So head over to our lifechurchcan.org forward slash give page to see how to be a part of that. Uh, I have a great message for you today. Uh, last week, uh, I myself preached on serving the uh, orphan, and today you'll hear Pastor Nathan preach on serving the widow and those go really hand in hand and jesus and scripture in general have a lot to say about it so give that a listen and i'll catch up with you in a minute let's give it up for god one more time yeah (laughs) thank you if you feel you must you can have a seat if you need to stand up for a little bit (laughs) because all the energy go ahead and do that and i'm glad you're here Uh, i think god has something special for you today um, I can usually tell when God is going to do something uh, at the amount of battle uh, that happens in my own mind and my own heart the week before, and uh, I don't uh, want you to be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged. I believe that there's going to be something inside of you that's unlocked, um, something that's new and different, and it, it's going to come uh, not necessarily where you expect it to, um, but obviously it's in the Word of God, but I want to talk to, to, do, to you today about uh, specifically a group of people that kind of gets overlooked, but I won't say too much too far in, um, I'll tell you more in a minute. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and if you weren't here at the very beginning, uh, Jared said that he wanted something for you, that we as a church, all of us want something for you, whether you're here for the first time or you've been here forever. We want for you to reclaim your identity in Jesus, which we just sang about who he is. We want you to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. And we're in a series called Cross Equals Love, and and really we're going to be talking about love. What does love look like in action? One of the things I want to encourage you to do, um, if you want, is to pick up some sunglasses so that we can give them away to new people. And they have the Cross Equals Love on there. There's orange and blue. I like the orange better. Uh, You can like the blue better, but whatever you want. Buy some, wear them, because the sun is coming. At least that's what I hear. It's coming. Why do we do this series? Because the Cross equals love. The greatest symbol of love in all of human history is the cross because of the sacrifice. I mean, if you didn't hear that from what we sang this morning, as a reminder of what Jesus has done. But we don't just lift this symbol up on the wall. We don't put it on our shirts. We don't just put it on our sunglasses and go out and tell everyone uh, about it. We don't just lift it up. We do that, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and it does something. But we're also learning to love like Jesus did in a sacrificial way. And we're challenging ourselves as we get ready for Easter to be more loving by how we love and who we love. During our vision series, the one previous to Cross Equals Love, I talked to you about the first major issue in the church. I want to bring it up to you again because there's a connection. In Acts 6, the first thing that went wrong in the church, I'll read just a short um, uh, verse about it, was in 6 verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, these are the Greek Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, the ones who look different, 
among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is important because you can go back and listen to that message. We're all sitting on couches talking about it. Uh, Something happened here. The first issue in the church was a racial issue, was a justice issue. They weren't caring for the widows. They weren't caring for those who had the least amount of rice and the least amount of resources. And they were actually caring for the ones that looked like them better than the ones who didn't. And uh, we talked about why it is so crucial for us to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. And I want to build on that story because it directly connects to what happens three chapters later. In Acts 6, there was an injustice. So the disciples, the ones who followed Jesus, they created an equitable correction to the injustice of racial discrimination, and they provided. But they didn't just do that by saying, oh, our bad, let's change it. Instead, they took members of the group that were oppressed and raised them up and gave them influence, and the world transformed because of it. I want to dive further into the love side, though, of bearing the torch of Christ's justice and love. We've talked about the justice, but I want to dive into the love lived out. Roger last week took us into James, laid down the weight of the call to love the orphan and the widow. To orphan and the widow. If you want to talk about how to love the orphan, watch Roger's message last week or listen to it on the podcast. Today, I want to talk about the widows. I want to talk about the love that was necessary. See, widows back then were seen as lesser than. They had no property and they had no rights. They were subordinate to a male heir, um, and they may not have a son. So they wouldn't, if they didn't have a son, then they didn't have anything. In society of that day, like, it was very difficult to be a widow. That's why there were so many widows who needed to be taken care of. The system had failed them, and often the world had failed them. And so widows were an issue, and so that's why Jesus talked about them. That's why the church cared for them, because they were those on the outside, So we have widows today. We have widows and widowers in our church right now. But to best exemplify what was happening back then, we would need to talk a little bit more in depth about some of the the reasons that they struggled so much. But I want to focus today on what I see uh, God is talking about with this category, which is specifically uh, single parents. See, the experience of the ancient widows is best understood in single-parent households. Now, I want to be clear when I'm saying single parents, I am single, saying single fathers and single mothers, not just single mothers. When we talk about widows, I'm not just talking about widow, women. Today, we have issues. Uh, single parents, just some interesting things I found out this week. Do you know that we have 18.5 million children living in single-parent households? That's actually 23% or almost one-fourth of our children in, the, in America. That makes us number one in the entire world. Yay, America number one. (laughs) Uh, Not good. That's a huge impact. That's massive. 20% of the single parent households are are led by a man and 80% are women. And statistically, single parents, they're half as likely to own a home. They're twice as likely to be on food stamps or suffer from food insecurity. Or maybe you don't know what food insecurity is. It means not knowing how you're going to get your next meal, not knowing where the food is going to come from. And, and just for perspective, in Canton, we have food banks, and 
Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people go to get food there. There's food insecurity all around us. 30% of single moms are likely living in poverty, below the poverty level, and 15% of single men, single parents who are men, live below the poverty line. I could go on and on and on, but what might happen as I read all those stats and what might have happened in your heart and in your mind, and no judgment there because you're trying to make sense of that, is you might be looking at single parents and like, well, if they had made different decisions. Or they're there because of this or that or the other. In our minds, we try to justify the imbalance of what's happening in our world. Well, today I want you to set that aside for a moment and see that regardless of how this happened, this is the reality. And Jesus says that we should care for those who are having an experience that is much harder than ours. I want you to think about single parents when I read to you Jesus' attitude towards widows. That's the question. What was Jesus' attitude towards widows? Does Jesus really talk about widows? He does. There's tons and tons of scriptures about it, but first, I want to just go through a few. He defended widows and rebuked those who took advantage of them. Now look for how the widows show up in Mark 12, 40. They're talking about the Pharisees, the priests, the, the, the people who were above. They said they devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So when they would lose their home because their husband died and there was no other male, the church would come in and take their resources and then not care for them. Immediately following this rebuke, three verses later, they watched as a widow, a poor widow, goes through and gives her last quarter, her last dime, her last penny to the church. Jesus called his disciples to him, gathered them, and Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Jesus stood for the rights, protected widows from being cast out. See, men, men used to be able to divorce their wives, making them uh, essentially and a widow. But he made it hard to destitute a woman on the whim of a man in Mark 5, 32. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual, sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's saying like, no, no, you are breaking a union with God and with your marriage. In Matthew 19, 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That might be like, well, how does that have to do with anything? What he's doing is he's saying he's making it very hard for men to exert their influence and power over women to put them into a place of destitution. That is what that is about. Jesus, he performed miracles for the widow. Luke 7, 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son, do you catch that? The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Put yourself in that moment. This woman had lost her husband, but she had had a son. How lucky that she had someone. But now her son was dead. And Jesus comes up to a funeral procession, a procession and said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on. And the bearers stood up, stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. It reminds me when Jesus was on the cross 
And he sees the disciple he loves and his mother. And he provides by saying to his disciple, this is your mother and this is your son. One of the last acts Jesus did was to care for his soon-to-be widow mother who has no sons. Jesus cared deeply about the widows, the orphans, and the poor. This verse on taking care of the poor, the verses on it are are extensive. See, widows were poor as well. This this is huge. This is huge on Jesus' heart. In Acts 6, 1 through 2, when when I read this, I accused the disciples of forgetting their place, that they forgot that they were to be there to serve and to love. They had distanced themselves from the table and said, no, let other people do it. We'll just do the word of God. But it had stagnated their ministry. And you saw this revelation that came because they went back into it. But I, I don't know how they had forgotten the conversation with Jesus in Mark ten forty-five, which our whole series is based on. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They must have also forgot Micah 6, 8, which was even older, as Roger and I both spoke about, forgotten that Jesus called his disciples not to try to gain prestige and power, but to lower themselves, to go lower. And back then, there were only two groups lower than the disciples, women and slaves. They had forgotten that the disadvantaged The oppressed is the very place that Jesus called all of us from the beginning of the Word of God through Micah, through Mark, and Acts, and all the way to now, is to love those on the outside, to love those who are hurting. That's why James 1.27, I'll read it again. Roger did a powerful job of explaining it. It says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This sermon is essentially part four of the discussion on bearing the torch of Christ's justice and love. I won't be able to cover all the nuances So I just encourage you to listen to the entire vision series and the cross equals love series, really only, you know, at this point, six or seven messages, and you'll be caught up. But I want to talk about the love of Jesus in action. I want to talk about how this transformed Peter. He went from being someone who's like, I'll just read the word of God. Don't let me, you know, serve those who are the lowest. He changed his way. He got the memo. He's learning to go lower. And he goes out into the world to minister just like Jesus did. This is only three chapters later in Acts 9, in Acts 9, 36. Some of you may have not heard this passage before or heard a message on it, but I love this passage in verse 36. In Joppa, or Jaffa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Jared said that when he heard this story when he was a teenager, he used to laugh because he'd be like, dork, <laughs> Dorcas. Yeah. I didn't because uh, I'm, I'm super spiritual. <sighs> She was always doing good and helping the poor. This is powerful. There's some really cool things in here. What what she's saying, what you learn from later in this passage, is that Tabitha was a woman who dedicated her life to the poor, to the orphan, and to the widow, to empowering them and to transforming their lives, and she died. Now, what's interesting here, it says, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Man, 
I love being able to look at the Greek because this word disciple is the same word disciple that's in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, except there's one difference. And it only occurs in the New Testament once. This word, you're looking at disciple, occurs once. And it's the only time it occurs in the feminine. What I love about this is it feels to me like it's a title. It feels to me like this is the disciple, Tabitha, that she is the one who cares for the poor. It reminds me of how crucial it is to do this. Acts 9, 37, let's see what happens. About that time, she became sick and died. This is as Peter is, on his time, is in Joppa. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. It's important to understand here that they washed it and put it in an upper room. They washed it, but they did not prepare it for burial. Her body was washed and placed away from everybody else, but not prepared for a burial. Why? Because they had some faith that God was going to do something incredible. What kind of faith is that? They simply washed the body, and they believed that God would bring her back. And that's why they said, come quickly, come quickly, Peter. We've heard about Jesus. We know who Jesus is, and we believe that he wants to raise this woman from the dead. You know, as I've interacted with single parents a lot, both men and women, you know what I realize about them? Their faith is so resilient. It truly is. Often it's because, and this is important for you to understand, true reliance on God to get through life positions us to experience miraculous provision. You see, single parents, you're not less than. You're not suboptimal. You're not second best. We must be careful not to look at single parents and damn them for what they have chosen because we don't know their story. In fact, some of these verses as I was doing this research were from an article that I really appreciated. And the article was titled simply, Jesus Loves Single Parents More Than Your Church Does. I was like, oh, I want to read that. <laughs> but then I'm realizing, and he wrote through all the things we do in our mind to make sure that we can justify why we don't need to care for single parents because of their choices. In fact, we can get very judgmental. But when we look at Jesus, Jesus loved the widows, the orphans, and the poor. And I'm not making a blanket statement about single parents that all of them are poor. That's not what I'm saying. That's not my point. I'm just saying there's a group of people within our very church who are sitting in these seats who are looking at me right now who are single parents. And their struggle, their struggle is real. Are we going to have hearts that love them? But what I want to say is that they are strong in spirit and their reliance on Jesus has made them stronger and better in line with this truth. We are all desperate for Jesus Christ. The difference is many of us have created lives that don't make us that desperate. Whereas single parents often have that thrust upon them. But instead of allowing that to crumple them, they take it on and they grow Circumstances may have forced you as single parents to realize that we are nothing without Jesus Christ. We are all desperate. Here's the difference. You know it. Often we're still learning it. And I think that that is reflected in the scripture here, where they're like, God is going to show up in a huge way. Get Peter. This woman isn't dead for long. What kind of faith is that? Verse 39. When they came up out of, I'm sorry, that's, that's a different place. That's Jesus. 
coming out of the water in baptism. That's a different sermon. Completely different sermon. I, I like how I read that with such conviction when that, it's just the wrong words. <laughs> All right. Please come at once. Peter, verse 39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that uh, Tabitha Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. We always look to Jesus and mirror his actions, his truth, and his love. You know, I said it's easier to love Jesus than to love like him. However, when we do, when we lower ourselves and we mirror who he is, incredible things happen. This whole scene mirrors Jesus. Jesus was brought to a home, to a little girl who had died. He cleared the room. He prayed, and he spoke to Letha Kumi. Little girl, arise. Peter clears the room. He prepares, and he speaks to Tabitha, Tabitha, Kumi, Talitha, Tabitha. Do you see what's being, what's being shown here? That Peter is living into the truth of who Jesus was in the way that he loves and cares for. Here's the key difference, though. When Jesus did it, the people surrounding Jesus weren't convinced Jesus could do anything. But the widows were expectant that Jesus would do everything through Peter. That is the kind of faith that we all need. Acts 41, 9, 41. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows. You see that theme. And presented her to them alive. The one who had cared for them was back. This is beautiful. Raising people from the dead after Jesus ascended into heaven is not written about a ton. It happened, but not a ton. But this moment, this moment is so poignant, significant. I have a question for you. What is dead in your life that needs a resurrection? What is dead in your life? Maybe it's a relationship with a friend. Maybe it's some part of your own well-being. I don't know. What, what is dead in your life that needs a resurrection? Where are you waiting for God to show up? Maybe you're waiting like the widows and expected, or maybe you're waiting and you're not sure it's ever going to happen. What do you need to change? What do you need to be revealed to you? I want you to ask that question right now, and you're going to be like, why? We'll get to it in a moment. But I want to continue to move forward and talk about what we can do for single parents. I'm going to tell you the action steps right now before we get to the end of the message because I want us to act. I want us to care for the single parents in our community, but I want to do it in a way that's not like us being better than or something like that. No, 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 not at all, but just providing for them just like Jesus did, to provide for them just like Peter did, to love and care for single parents. So I have some action steps for the single parents or for people to help single parents. And I have a question first. If you don't know anybody who's a single parent, you better find some. They're all around. Find some people to get to know and to care for. And all these action steps are about relationship. They're about caring for and with them. The first one is I want you to offer them two nights out. Two nights out, okay? Why two nights? Well, because if you offer a night out to a single parent, you know what they're going to do? 
they're going to get some stuff done because they don't ever have enough time. So they're going to go out and they're going to get some stuff done and they'll thank you for it. But give them two nights out. Why? To get stuff done and the second one to have some fun. All right? To go and relax and enjoy. See, if you're a single parent, you're kind of in the in-between zone between married couples with kids or just married couples and, and single people or without kids. And so you're always trying to figure out what to do with your kids. That's really practical. I think all of us can do that. But as we grow in relationship and we start that, I want you to do another thing. I want you to advocate for single parents. I want you to advocate for them. Now, often we forget that uh, when we're married, we have two people to kind of work through. You got some skills here. You got some skills here. You got some time here. But single parents, they got to be everything. And they have less time. So getting on the phone to start talking to someone when their medical bill comes in and it's a hot mess because you all know medical insurance is there for them to make money. And so they do all these things. You know what I'm talking about? You ever get a letter in your mail like, come on, why do I even pay for this stuff? I, I get it. But imagine you have half the time. Maybe you can advocate for medical bills. Maybe you can advocate for services you know, help them renegotiate, give some time for them. Some of you love this stuff. Like, that's how you breathe. Your job in life is like, I find satisfaction in paying the least amount of money for everything that I do. And that is a good thing and a godly gift. Maybe you can advocate with single parents. Now, I talk about taxes. I know tax season's finishing up. We have some time. Loans. I mean, if you look at the data Single parents don't get loans as often. And if you add a racial component to it, it, the numbers are skyrocketing. Advocate, work with, help them better their life. And then talking about repairs, right? Repairs in the home. There's sometimes just not enough time. Maybe you need to advocate for a single parent because you're crafty and you can help them with some of their repairs. In fact, uh, right now, um, if you need help with funds for the materials of a project that you want to do with a single parent, come talk to us. We have about $3,500 right now that's set aside to care for these people exactly. And if you're a single parent, you're like, I just need the funds. I can do it. I need the funds. We would love to help. Come talk to me or one of the pastors, Bridget. Third, so offer two nights out, advocate for single parents. Third, live life with single parents. Man, man, the, the insular family, the nuclear family, the idea that we all have our own homes and our little, and we just spend time with only each other and all that. Do you know that that's not in here? That's American thing? Like, the, the idea that we just have our own little homes and our own little things, and we just spend all our time away from other people, that's not in here. That's something we made. But we hold it up like, well, i got to have my dedicated family time. Yes, don't work all the time. But like, we have adopted the idea that family is only those in our own little group, when in reality, every single one of the people sitting in this room is your brother and your sister. And so what would it look like for your family to look like that? Maybe Saturdays at the beach, time up north, all those things are coming. I know, you're thinking about it. What does it look like to invite single parents and their family with you, to live life with you? What if it was the expectation that every time you planned an event, you're thinking about single parents, and you're thinking, okay, how could I make an event that helps them engage and be part of it? See, children of single parents, you have it rough at times. I want to speak to you about this. I think that you can have a huge impact on your parent, that you can make a huge impact on them. You are not responsible for their emotions and their well-being. No, in no way. But you can make things easier for them by listening and obeying 
but also by encouraging them and speaking life. If you're a student with a, a single parent, love on them. Go ahead. Be crazy with it. Like, just tell them how amazing they are. You know, if they look tired, don't tell them they look tired. <laughs> don't do that. That's the worst thing. You look tired today. Thanks. Now I got to worry about looking tired. Love on them. You're not responsible for their well-being emotionally. You're just responsible to encourage them when you can. What does it look like to live life with single parents? Another thing that you can do is you can realize that there are children of single parents who don't have two parents to invest in them, to love on them, that they might not have as many positive male figures or, or, or female figures in their life. And I want you to invest in them. Now, first of all, I think you first, first, you need to give them some time out, then uh, to be on their own, then you need to advocate for them, then you need to live life with them. See, see, children of single parents are not projects. They're not people that you go in to make them feel better because they're so well. No, no, no. They're just brothers and sisters in Christ that you can invest in. They need consistency. They need people they know who they can look at like family, who will be there for the mundane and for the critical times in their life. So maybe you think, okay, I have my friends who are single parents, and I think about their kids, and I start thinking, like, how can I include them in the, the day-to-day life? Maybe you're thinking, hey, I need to change the oil this weekend. And so you invite a single uh, parent's child over to do it with you. This is some of the most impactful moments I've heard from people who grew up without a father or without a mother is the moments that someone came alongside them and just included them and helped them learn and grow. Now, this doesn't just, oil doesn't have to be just men. It can be women too. Cooking, shopping, lawn care. Who can you live life with? I think this is crucial. Now, I spent all this time talking about the action steps for a specific reason. Because what I'm seeing in the Word of God is that when we are not caring for the single parents, it isn't just hurting the single parents and their children. It's hurting us. That we're missing out on what God has for us because we're not living this out. Acts 9, 42 through 43. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And this is really, really important. Do you see the parallels between Acts 6 when, when, uh, when they did this and they fixed the problems that were going on and then all of a sudden so many people, believers came to the faith. Well, when they cared for the widow, so many people came to faith to believe in the Lord. Here's something that's true. When biblical justice and love is engaged, miracles, salvation, and revelation are unleashed. I, I'm making this bold claim because I believe 100% it's true. When you care for the widows, the orphans, and the poor. When you do that, things change. They aren't some projects or something that we need to just fix. No, no, no. It's there that the ministry happens and the kingdom explodes forth. I want, I want you to look at this. Like, here's Acts 6 right here in my Bible, and here is Acts 9. There's just, like, barely any pages in between. But there's this pattern that starts to emerge. In Acts 6, the widows are being ignored. So they elevated the voice of the excluded. And revelation happened. Stephen was able to go and speak to all of the priests. And and things were transformed in that moment. They started to go out. Philip went out into the community. And then Saul became Paul and moved forward. You see, when they cared 
for the least something transformed. And in Acts 9, Peter, who used to be the one who was saying, I'm just going to sit back and wait. He's like, no, I'm going to go now. And as he goes and cares for people, he cares for the widow, he lowers himself. He remembers Micah 6, 8, and he goes lower. He gets on his knees and he prays. Then something amazing happens. But you could miss this next point. Do you remember how I said in Acts 6, the last verse was weird and off? It says, and many priests came to the faith. And you're like, why is that even there? Well, the same thing happens here. Verse 43, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time, cool, with a tanner named Simon. Uh, by the way, Peter's name was Simon too, so it was like Simon's hanging out. Simon and Simon, you know, like, I thought that was clever. But that's not what's important here. What's important here is that Simon was a tanner. You see, those separating lines begin to break down. A tanner is someone that if you were a good Jewish person, you wouldn't stay with because if you were in a tanner's home, you would be unclean all the time. And yet Peter says, no, I'm going to go lower. I'm going to start to engage with people who are maybe ostracized by the community. And then what happens in verse 10, things start to change. Peter has a dream in the tanner's home after he's carrying the widows of all of these animals coming down from heaven and God saying these are clean. And what that means is now the, the role between Gentile and Jew is being broken down. He's having a revelation. He wakes up at the tanner's home, and there's someone from a Roman centurion. That's the very next story, one that you've heard, who says, come, you must come to my house. I need what you have. And he goes and starts this relationship with the Romans, the oppressors, the unclean. You see, Peter, as he goes lower and does the care for the widows, receives a revelation that transforms his ministry. Justice and love, biblical justice and love, will transform our ministry. Remember when I asked you if something needed to be resurrected in your life? Maybe you're waiting for an answer from God, a revelation, or that relationship. You're just, you're waiting for that to happen. Maybe stop waiting. Maybe stop waiting for that to happen. Expect God's going to answer, yeah, but maybe you need to start loving like Jesus did. Maybe you need to follow the pattern here. Because I believe the revelation of what God is doing, going to do next, is found in the service of the orphan and the widow. That's a strong statement. Maybe you think, oh, I want to be... No, no, no. Maybe God is waiting <laughs> to reveal something to you when you start doing what he's called you to do. That's a strong statement, too. Some of us are waiting for this moment where we've got it all figured out, and then we would start caring for people. But Jesus is saying, no, care for them now. Love them now. They are my people. It's where I would be. I would be with them. Well, we keep waiting. Single parents, the orphan, the poor, the widow, this is where God has called us. I'll tell you a story about Francis Chan. Back in the day, I saw this um, video. It was when Francis Chan was just kind of rising in fame. If you know who Francis Chan is, I really have a lot of respect for him. But this was in uh, a long time. This was a long time ago. This <laughs> in college. So where was a 13-inch screen, but not like the flat one, the big, huge, deep one, you know what I'm talking about? And this, like, we had a DVD player, but it wasn't Blu-ray, you know. And I'm watching in this prayer house, uh, praying, and I'm watching this video. And it's one of the first times I ever saw Francis Chan. And it's like 20 years ago. And so he goes in, um, he, he, he's talking about this story, and he sets it up as this kind of inspirational moment. Now, he lives in Southern California, or, or did at the time. 
And, um, you know, it's really nice there. And so he gets up, and if you know Francis Chan, he's just very expressive. I mean, he has these giant hands, and he just talks, and he's, he's an amazing speaker. But he goes, you know, I was getting up in the morning. One morning, I'm like, I have a day off, and I really want to hear from God. I want a revelation from God. And so I go, and it's early in the morning before the sun rises, and I go to Starbucks, and I get this beautiful cup of coffee, and it's a little crisp in the morning. I'm like, how cold can it get in Southern California? Anyways, but he, he's like, I go out to the beach, and I sit down, and I hear the waves lapping on the beach, and, and, and the sun is coming up, and I just sit there to have my coffee, and I'm, I'm just in the moment, and I said, God, tell me what you want to me to do with my life. That's how he sets it up. He says, you know what I heard from God? I heard this. Why would I tell you anything else when you're not caring for the poor and the orphan and the widow? Whoa. It slayed him. When I hear that, it slays me. How often do I do that? <laughs> I'm like, God says, I have told you what to do. I told you what will transform the world. I have. Go do it. As you are doing it, I will reveal more to you. It's not a correctivism like you're so bad, just do the right thing. No, no. It's, no, I've revealed to you what to do in this, in this moment as you care and love and love life with the people who are hurting. Something is going to change inside of you, and I am going to unleash the kingdom. I've shown you how this happens again and again and again. Stop waiting for some special divine revelation and do what he has already revealed powerful. It changed Francis Chan's life. You know anything about him? He has lived his whole life. He's adopted, I think, six children. He has gone all over the world. There was actually a satirical article about him because he has been a person who gives away so much. The article was like, uh, Francis Chan found on the side of the road with only his pants off crying because he has no more worldly possessions to give away. That's, it's become so incredible, a, a story of his life that he was transformed by him. And then what you see is that his, his, his revelation of the church and what God wants to say to the church grew too. And over decades, he's become one of the most prophetic voices about the church. You see, he's learned where to place himself to be transformed. We must be the love of Jesus. Now, this message, there's a lot. I don't want you to leave this message thinking, oh, that was really a nice message. I want you to go and love like Jesus. I want you to go and care for the single parents. I want you to give them two nights out. I want you to advocate for them, and I want you to live life with them. I am not calling you to some kind of project to do, but to a relationship. But I'm telling you, the revelation of what God is going to do through it is greater than you can possibly know. For those of us who have chosen to foster, for those of us who have chosen to partner and to love single parents and to be with them, we know that something beautiful happens when we live life together. I want to finish with Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Will you stand with me? As we finish, I want to give you an opportunity to embrace the full cross equals love, that Jesus came to love you and to care for you, but he also came to transform you, to give you new life. And the cross is a perfect image of what our life should be about. Our life should be about sacrifice, just like Jesus. But first, I want you to accept that this sacrifice was for you, for every single one of you in the room.
No matter how well you're doing, no matter if you're doing things right, his grace and his love is for all. And so I want to give you an opportunity to follow Jesus if you haven't, to commit your life, to claim your life in Jesus. Let's close our eyes. God, you are here, you are with us, and you are challenging us. I pray first that you would speak life and love to every single parent who's hearing my voice, that you love them dearly, that you care for them, that they can be strong in their weakness. God, I pray that every single person here who isn't involved in a single parent's life, that you would bring a strong, godly, healthy conviction that it's time. It's time to put ourselves exactly where Jesus would be. For those who want to start a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're just struggling in this message. You're like, cool, this message was great, but I came in with some other things. I pray that you would meet them where they're at. And that those who want to follow you with their whole life, who want to start this journey of claiming their identity in Jesus, that they would talk to you right now because you're here. They would admit their need for you. Admit that they are broken and without you, doomed. But that with you, they will find salvation, rescue, hope, grace, joy, peace, purpose. And in you, they'll find everything. they would accept the gift that Jesus Christ gave in the cross of dying so that they could live. That they would speak to you and that you would make them new and to begin this journey of following you into eternity. Hope you enjoyed that lesson. It, that It's been so cool to see how this series has flowed together in, in so many ways. Uh, to see that God's call and Jesus' call for us to serve has been a calling from the beginning and also to hear uh, teaching and sermons about some really practical ways that you can go out and serve the community. That's really important to me, not that we just talk about it, but that we do it and that there are practical applications and steps we can take. And uh, Pastor Nathan covered a whole bunch of those, so uh, I hope you see God moving this week as you participate via those action steps. Uh, If you want to... Be a part of this community and share some of your struggles, whatever you're going through, um, whether you need prayer or whether you need support. Uh, be sure to get involved because we believe that you belong and there's a lot of ways for you to do that. You can fill out a connect card via our now page or you can even reach out to talk to us about joining a, uh, a semester life group, which are groups where you can do life with other people and be loved and supported by brothers and sisters in Christ. So be sure to check out those opportunities. Uh, like I said, I hope you see God move this week. Be sure that you find a single mother to to or father, uh, a parent to serve and care for. Uh, And if you don't know any, then maybe it's time to start building relationships with those people uh, because we love them and they're valuable and uh, they they deserve to be served. So be sure uh, to find someone this week. Hope you have a blessed week, uh, a a busy week, uh, and a week full of what God is doing in your life in this community. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.